What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays Jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morantz, Joe Johnson's, Ja Raffs, of course. We've got Jays, we've got him for days. Josh, how you doing? We are on to part two of our two-part preview series. It's kind of hard go. to believe we're actually getting close to college basketball season here. We got to start talking to people about it. The, I think now the unofficial start of the college basketball season for me is when the the college basketball almanac from the field of 68, our friend Lucas Harkins, um, Jeff Goodman, you know, the, the whole crew that works on mm-hmm. that, when that comes out, you know, we're close. And, and that came out today as we're recording this September 20th. So, you know, it's close. We got to talk to some peeps about it. And, uh, and today is, is the beginning of that. And we are not going in alphabetical order. We are breaking the rules. We are not going in alphabetical order. And I don't care what you say, Josh. It has nothing to do with the fact that we've already recorded the interviews with some of the conferences and we haven't with others. It has nothing to do with that. Absolutely not. What a ridiculous thing to suggest. But um, if you've been following along with the previews, you know that we just recently did uh, our podcast on the SEC. Just just finished that one up, wrapped that up with Josh and I, and we're going right back to it. We're going right back to it to talk with Matt Majenski. Matt is, he's all over the place, really. He's the creator of CBB Review. That's at CBB Review on Twitter. He is on TV as a sports reporter and news anchor on News 10 NBC in Rochester, New York. But what Matt also does is he is the site expert for Wildcat Blue Nation, which is the fan-sided site for the Kentucky Wildcats. Um, so we talked to him about everything, Josh. Um, everything to coming from, of course, Kentucky starting there and what's going on there this season. But also uh, we touch on the SEC as a whole to uh, to really put a bow on this uh on the two-part uh sec preview that we have before the season starts it was the perfect combination of being able to focus in on one team and really dive in because there are so many interesting storylines with kentucky while also being able to talk about the conference in a whole as a whole and get somebody else's perspective on kind of how things are going to stack up and what role kentucky is going to play in that so it was a a really nice kind of one-two punch with matt won't waste any more of your time. Let's uh, let's hop into the conversation with Matt from CBB Review and Wildcat Blue Nation. Joining us now from CBB Review, uh, from on TV in Rochester, New York, uh, Matt Majinski. Matt, how are you today? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm good, man. Uh, this was my one off day of the week. It's been busy lately, but I'm uh, I'm happy to be with you guys for tonight. So appreciate having man. you. Man, we are we're absolutely honored to uh to to be with you on your on your day off. We appreciate it. <laughs> um uh yeah, thanks so much for for taking the time to come and chat some 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 SEC hoops with us. It's a conference that uh that we're big fans of and and we think it's it's an interesting one every year and and is one that um that kind of has has had some uh some 
parity in terms of the top of the conference uh, over the last 10 years after kind of being dominated by Kentucky for, for, for quite so, some time. Um, so let's just, let's hop in kind of with the top of the conference, kind of start there and we'll work our way, work our way down. Whether it's Tennessee, um, Kentucky, uh, a Texas A&M team that brings a lot back from a really good conference uh, performance last year. What, uh, how do you feel about the top of this conference? Do you think there's a clear favorite or are we jumping into the season with, with uh, several teams that could kind of, kind of come out on top in your eyes? Yeah, uh, to me, there's no clear favorite in the SEC. In fact, I think it's one of the few power conferences where there's no Final Four contender right off the bat. You don't look at the SEC and say, okay, one of these teams is going to the Final Four. But with that being said, I think you said it perfectly. It's a conference where there are multiple teams that can win the SEC and multiple teams that could make a long run in March. You just can't put your finger on one of them. And I know we'll get to that in a little bit, but to answer your question in the shortest way possible, yes, there are a few teams in SEC basketball this season that can uh, compete for that title. How are you feeling about Tennessee and how Tennessee factors into that? They've been so so consistent over the regular season, maybe not putting together from start to finish though, a regular season exactly like they would hope whether it's Sakai Ziegler's injury or just w- losing a couple of strange games where they can't score. Do you feel like they are maybe if, even if they're not the clear favorites kind of in pole position with what they are bringing back and what, you know, Rick Barnes is getting out of his team with some question marks regarding some of the other teams you would look at as favorites. No, hundred percent. And, and Tennessee is my top team in the sec. I ranked them at eighth in a little preview I did about a month ago um, where I ranked all of the power conference teams heading into this season and yeah, it's it's because when you look at the Vols, I mean, they have the backcourt, the starting backcourt coming back, and they don't really lose one major piece. Um, a couple of the teams in the SEC throughout college basketball, they'll lose major pieces. Tennessee really brings them back, and, and I really look at Santiago Vescovi uh, first and foremost, a guy who can do multiple things in the backcourt. He can score the ball. He can shoot the ball. He can playmake out of the backcourt. You know, he doesn't need, they don't need to rely on Ziegler to, to play make. And Vescovi can certainly do that. And an underrated transfer pickup in Dalton Neck, the guy who was looking at Kentucky, chose to go to Tennessee, someone who can really shoot the ball from deep. And I think that's a big addition for a Tennessee team that, as you mentioned, hasn't really hit the ceiling that they've had the past couple of seasons. Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the year that Rick Barnes finally has a final four team in Tennessee. Do you think Necht is the best argument for right? When you look at Tennessee, like, like Josh said, super consistent and you know exactly what you're going to get out, get out from them. And we're kind of in the space with, with that Tennessee program now where we also know we're going to get some duds uh, when it comes to the offensive side of the, of the floor, right? First and third, the last two years in defensive efficiency, but more in that 40, 50, 60 kind of range for, for defense, at least from an efficiency perspective. Um, and then you saw them, their offense completely disappear for, for obvious reasons in the tournament. Um, is next part of that argument that maybe there's some more firepower on that, on that Tennessee team this year? I think he is, and I think the big thing about Necht is not only does he give them the firepower from a scoring standpoint, which maybe Tennessee certainly needed. They had a couple of guys last year who could score the ball, not one guy who I think could take over, 
I still don't know if they have that. I think Vescovi could certainly be in for a big year, his biggest year yet. But I think by adding Necht, it really gives more offensive freedom to this Tennessee team. And that's a huge thing to have. I mean, you need that. And he's an experienced player. And not only that, but he's a guy who averaged seven rebounds last season at six foot six. I know he might not average seven in the SEC, but I think that's an underrated quality about a guy who everyone likes to talk about what he brings from a shooting the basketball standpoint, but rebounding the basketball, he can certainly chip in as well. Before we jump into some Kentucky specific questions, one more conference sort of top of the conference, big picture thing. It's almost feels like you can kind of frame this as the sort of new teams with all of the transfers, incoming freshmen, Kentucky, Arkansas, Alabama against the teams that have the veterans that are bringing back a lot of players have that continuity in the Tennessee, Texas A&M's, Auburn's of the world. Do you feel like that's an accurate assessment? And do you feel like one of those groups has a leg up going into the season? Or do you really feel like it's it could be a five, six, maybe four-team race for most of the season where any of those teams that I just mentioned, or maybe even another one, could win the conference? I think that's an accurate assessment. I mean, you do have it kind of split there between a couple of teams that are really relying on, whether it's freshmen or transfers, they're relying on new players coming in, newcomers. The Texas A&Ms of the world, who, I mean, the Aggies have an incredible returning roster. They're a team I'm not as high on, though. So I'd have to side with the teams that are bringing in these newcomers. And I think that's where Tennessee, again, I know we've talked a lot about them, but they just have that great blend of returning players and one big newcomer in Necht. When you look at like the Auburns of the world, I'm still not sure if they have enough. I think they have a good quality team. But I'd side with the Tennessees, the Kentuckys, the teams that will be a little bit fresh this year and have coaches that know how to you know, win basketball games as well. So, of course, the, the headline in, in this conference this year is it's a Kentucky program that has double-digit enrollees on 247 Sports, which is not which is not something that you see very often. And Josh and I are big on not every five-star and not every high-ranked recruit is is created equal, but this is certainly a a class that uh, that is striking and and impressive when you look at uh, where those guys are ranked nationally. So let's uh, let's hop into Kentucky here. Um, in right college basketball sport that very rarely do you look at the teams in the final four and the teams that you kind of look back and think of, okay, those were the four or five best teams in the country that you're very few of them, if any are built like this Kentucky team is built. So what's kind of your, what's your temperature check on, on this team this year with a, with a very, very young uh, but should be immensely talented roster. Yeah, it's weird because I feel like America has kind of gotten tired about hearing about what Kentucky's bringing in. Oh, they have another great uh, freshman class. Is this one really going to be the one that works? You know, if you want to go by what works and what doesn't work, a lot of people grade on Final Fours and National Championships. I think that's unfair with Kentucky because not every freshman is built to do that right away. That's why we see so many of them blossom into the NBA. Um, and they've still had some really good teams, 25 wins in a season type good teams, which most programs in college basketball would take that. 
regardless of who they're putting on the floor. I think that Kentucky's going into the season underrated because of that, and that's kind of crazy because this class is outstanding. I mean, multiple top five, you know, top ten guys in the 247 recruiting class you mentioned. You get the transfer in Trey Mitchell. But not only that, but a lot of these guys are versatile players that can play multiple positions, guard multiple positions, and a few of them are professional scorers. DJ Wagner, he's going to come in and know how to score the ball. Justin Edwards is going to come in and know how to score the ball. Rob Dillingham could be the top-rated recruit on plenty of teams in college basketball. What's he, maybe the third-best recruit on this Kentucky team? I, I, I'd like to put you know, Edwards and Wagner above him, and that's not even counting if you want to look in the front court and see who's Kentucky's bringing in both you know, from the recruiting class and the transfer portal. It's just all up and down the board. Coach Calipari hit the mark on every single position, every single need, and they needed a lot because they lost a lot, and it's looking really good. What do you make of maybe calling it a philosophical shift is too strong? Maybe there are just some circumstances involved that kind of forced Cal's hand with this, but this used to be the the blueprint, right? And then past couple seasons, it's been more transfers, some guys sticking around that didn't quite work out to be one and dones. And obviously Oscar Sheboy didn't have the same kind of success, some disappointment in there. And now it's back to, this is kind of what you expect a Kentucky team to look like. What do you make of, of sort of the construction of this roster and Cal Perry choosing to go this direction with this team? Yeah, it, it almost seems like, you know, when you look at the traje- trajectory of Kentucky, they bring in, you know, for the longest time, Coach Kyle was was going, I'm going to go to the recruiting class, I'm going to bring in these freshmen, and it's either going to work or it's not going to work. And sure, he had a couple of duds. There were certainly some duds in there. There was the team that failed to make the NCAA tournament, but there was also the team with Anthony Davis that won the national championship. So you had really big highs, really low lows. Went to the transfer portal class, like you mentioned, and it was kind of just middling out. Like the highs were here, the lows were here. And I think if you ask any Kentucky fan, they would take that low low to every three years have that high high. And I think that's why he went to this, and I think that's what you're going to see with this team. Sure, it could not work work out at all. We don't know how these guys are going to be able to play together. But if you look at it on paper, I mean, this is his most talented class ever. This is a team that could go to the Final Four. And I'm sure they're holding themselves, you know, to that standard. Let's talk about that that idea of of going to the to the Final Four a little bit. Do you mentioned that you think that maybe nationally Kentucky considered? You know, I think it, that's interesting when you look at some of these preseason uh, rankings that have come out. That like seven years ago, if this team was what it is on paper, I think they'd be a consensus top five team. I think people are, have talked themselves out of, of thinking of freshmen, uh, of, of teams built on freshmen that, that people have kind of talked themselves out of that in terms of where am I going to rank this, this type of team? Because if this team isn't going to be like nationally considered a top five team, there's no such thing as a recruiting class that can, that can make that happen on its own anymore. What do you think is, what what is a fair expectation here? You know, we could can kind of circle back to the the conference regular season in the SEC. Maybe we're talking Final Fours, second weekends. 
what's um what do you think is a realistic or fair expectation for for this Kentucky team? I think before Trey Mitchell decided to come to Kentucky, the expectation was to at least win a game in the NCAA tournament and for a team to win 25-26, I'd say at least 25 regular season games. But adding Trey Mitchell to the mix changed that. To me, this is a team that now needs to make the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. To me, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight are the same thing. You played the game right after it. You know, people remember it by weekends in March. Did you get knocked out in the first round? Did you make it to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight? It's it's all the same thing. So it's a second weekend team. Kentucky needs to do that. I don't think it's fair to hold them to a Final Four because there's very few teams that you should hold to a Final Four every single year. And based on what Kentucky was the past couple of years, that's not what this team has been. And that isn't to say that these players can't get there. That's more an assessment of Coach Cal and him not being able to get some of these talented teams there. So again, second weekend team. Um, I think, you know, we need to see this team make it there. They're too talented not to. Which which freshman gets you the most excited? For me, it's DJ Wagner, because I think it's a guy who can come in right away and score the ball. If Rob Dillingham needs help, I, I want to see if DJ Wagner is good enough to take over and, and run the point. Mm. I want to see if he's going to be able to guard up. He's only listed as six foot three. Is he going to be able to guard small forwards in college basketball? Because that will say a lot about, you know, maybe what he's going to be able to bring in the NBA. Because six three in the NBA, you don't see many six three shooting guards. I mean, there there are out there, but he's probably going to need to play point in the NBA. Mm. So, what's DJ Wagner going to bring, and what's he going to showcase for the next level? I think he has a lot to prove, um, you know, both in college and then going forward. When you look at this roster, whether it's the players and the specific skill sets they have, or just the heavy reliance on freshmen who have never gone through a college basketball season before, what do you feel like are the biggest concerns or things that need to be smoothed over or you want to see addressed when this team starts taking the floor in regular season games that at this point are things you think might hold them back from reaching their full potential from making a final four. I think one and first and foremost is Aaron Bradshaw, just making sure that he is 100% completely healthy. I know that's not something that necessarily needs to be fixed, but you know, he needs to make sure that he's ready to play because if he were to go onto the court early and I know that the season is a long ways away, but if he were to go onto the court, not be 100% healthy, and and for some reason start to miss games, it's really going to mess, you know, with this team. But I also want to see a lot out of Antonio Reeves. I mean, this is a guy who we weren't sure how committed he was to Kentucky because he, he frankly, he wasn't. He he was looking at going somewhere else in the transfer portal. Decided to return to Kentucky. Reeves was pretty good last year for this Kentucky team. Not every mid-major player is able to come into a power conference team and average almost 15 points per game shoot 40% from three and actually have a pretty good efficiency. You know, 42% as a guard isn't too bad for someone coming from Illinois State. But he's kind of coming into the season, and I don't want to see him take a back seat. I think if Reeves is able to help these freshmen along, but also sort of keep himself at the top as a leader, as a go-to option, I think that'll really help this Kentucky team. Because otherwise, as you mentioned, it's going to be a team that's searching for everything from their freshmen. And with a team with so many freshmen like this, you still need those experienced players to step up and help out. 
Yeah, I think I, I might be bigger on I, I don't necessarily need a a non freshman to be the best player on on a team for me to believe in the freshman more, if that makes sense. But mm-hmm. you know, you look at the the type of team that comes to mind that had lots of success with with true freshmen, a, a team like the 2015 Duke team that won a national championship where Jaleel Okafor is your best player. Uh, Tyus Jones is spectacular. Justice Winslow is your perimeter guy, but the heart and soul and the, the, the go-to guy and kind of clearly the leader on that team was Quinn cook, uh, a, you know, a fourth year. I think he was a senior at that point, but the point being is that, um, that some of those intangibles that, that that Reeves could bring as as a guy who's been in the program for multiple years might just be it might be more important than than him you know being being the best player uh, on that Kentucky team this year. I'm I'm curious what you think about this and and if this is a an, an overreaction then then please then then please call me out. I think it would be fair to say that there have been like like some of these years, you know, you talk about the highs and the lows that that Kentucky fans have gone have been really hot and really cold for Calipari at different points in his in his tenure uh, in Lexington. What do you think? You know, we get to March and it's been an up and down season and then they, you know, they end up instead of being a top three seed, they're like a six seed and they lose to a a quality 11 seed that's still a mid-major program and um and then you're left with a sour taste in in the mouth of Kentucky fans what um what position do you think Calipari is in is in there at that point and as we're kind of to this point where when Kentucky seasons go sideways that 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 idea of Calipari's tenure coming to an end at Kentucky seems to be brought up a little bit more quickly than it had, you know, five or six years ago. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly on the hot seat in the sense that, you know, Kentucky is a team that a program that requires final fours and national championships. It isn't, Hey, we, we, we want you to make the national championship. It's you need to do that. Like that, that is a requirement of the job. There's very few programs out there where that is the requirement, it's it's Kentucky, it's Kansas, I think it's still UCLA. It might be UConn at this point. I mean, you know, I don't even know if there's any more than that. North, North Carolina, excuse Duke. me, and, and Duke, obviously. It's just, you know, with, with them having coaches that were coaching there for so long, you know, you tend to forget that. But those are probably the five out there if you wanted to come up with them. Um, I'll say, you know, I'll go as far as this too and say that the COVID season kind of screwed around because – it made, you know, Kentucky went 9-16. and 16. You, you look at a team that, um, and that, that was the second COVID year. That was the one after the tournament got canceled. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of fans will look at that and be like, you know, the, the team played terrible, but, you know, no one knew what to do during that season. I mean, games were getting canceled left and right. No one knew how to, how to do that. So when you really look at Kentucky, they've had two straight seasons of a two-seed and a six-seed. They haven't really done much in March. It hasn't been as great. But before that, I mean, they were on this streak of making three straight regional semifinals or, or further, um, you know, before that. And and the year that the tournament got canceled, they were eighth in the AP poll at the end of it. So they had a chance to go far there, too. So it's it's a weird little stretch here where if Coach Cal were to have another year where they get knocked out in March in like the round of 32 or the first round, 
or Kentucky only wins 23 games in the regular season and, and comes in as like a nine seed, then he's not going to get fired. But I think the next season is he's got to figure out what he wants to do and they've got to figure out what they want to do. Because I think he has a lot of pride too, where if he were to have another iffy year, he might just step down. I don't think he's the type to want to get fired. <laughs> I, w- I would say that's an accurate assessment. And yeah, I think that's where a lot of the Texas rumors were coming from as well. It's just a logical parting of the ways, right? If that was the direction people wanted to head with that. Moving off of Kentucky, going kind of back to the rest of the conference, all these coaches came in last season, varying degrees of success, some good, some maybe not so good, some promise and hope for the future, kind of different situations with all these different programs. Is there a second year coach, or you could even throw Chris Beard into this conversation if you wanted as well, that you feel like is in the best position to impress again this season or to really start gaining some attention about the work that they're doing at this program and the progress they're making? Yeah, um, I would go with Matt McMahon in LSU, um, a guy that didn't get off to a great start. But I think people tend to forget that before LSU had a few good years there with with Cam Thomas and you know his skill set. LSU is really not a basketball school. Sure, they've had Shaq, you know, they had Big Baby Davis way back in the day. They've had teams here and there. LSU is far from a basketball school, far from the top of the SEC. For them to go fourteen and nineteen in year one of, of Matt McMahon with all of the players that left and all of the Murray State guys that he tried to bring in, I think overall is still pretty good. And he went out there and got Jalen Cook from Tulane. I mean, that right there is a big get. He got other transfers as well. Will Baker from Nevada, Jordan Jordan Wright from Vanderbilt. I mean, he's bringing in guys. He's utilizing the transfer portal. It was rough. Uh, it was off to a rough, rough start in year one in, in ways, but I think he found a way to push through it. Only finished five games below 500. I think you could see a much improved LSU team this year. I, I'm not high on them in my preview, but I think the ceiling is high. Like my expectations are still. I'm not looking for a huge season out of them, but I wouldn't be shocked if if they were. Do you think there's a a coach kind of on the other end of the spectrum? Josh and I talk a lot about how it it doesn't the the idea of it takes a full recruiting cycle to pull a program out of the mud is not really the way that it works anymore like because of the transfer portal because you see programs do a complete 180 basically immediately i mean um you know shaka smart comes in and immediately turns marquette around and you can just it's so easy to easy probably not the right word but the opportunity is there to go out into the transfer portal and completely turn your roster over in a way that that it what didn't really used to be like that do you think on the other end of the spectrum that maybe there was a coach that we that that left quite a bit to be desired and if there's another poor season here that maybe maybe that coach is kind of is is in hotter water than you'd ever expect a coach to be only after a year or two yeah um and he had a pretty good recruit uh transfer class so i know that doesn't really answer your question fully but more based off of last year's team that should have been a lot better i'll go with todd golden in florida uh, yeah. Finishing under 500 with Colin Castleton, I don't think is a, is a really good uh, first impression. I mean, I you can't go 16 and 17 with a player like that. Let's not forget that 
Kyle Lofton from St. Bonaventure was also a, a, a well fought after transfer. Yep. And then he, he never, he never nine points a game. I mean, that, that didn't work out there. That experiment didn't work out. Florida, again, they bring in Tyree Samuel from my pirates. They bring in Walter Clayton Jr. from Iona. They bring in a couple of guys this season. But if it didn't work out last year and it doesn't work out again this year, not that I'm calling it not to work out, but if it doesn't, then you've got to start looking at Todd Golden as the reason. Do you feel like it's fair to place those expectations on Florida? Because I'm right there with you that they – there's reason to be optimistic to like the roster. It just seems like people are kind of sold that it's going to work. And I feel like you could have said the same thing about last season's roster. And here we are talking about it, not working. Do you feel like there's enough optimism to kind of believe that this is going to happen and that they are going to live up to expectations? Or are you very much kind of wait and see? And I'm not convinced that this is going to go the way people might think. Yeah, I'm going to be more of the wait and see. I mean, the one thing I will say is is a little bit falls on Castleton, too. I think that he was a bit overrated, if I'm going to be honest. Um, he didn't really live up to what people said he could be. But at the same time, he was still pretty dominant. I mean, you're averaging 16 points in the SEC. That's, you know, you can't do much better than that. We expected him to do more. We expected him to lead Florida to taller heights, but he wasn't able to do that along with Golden. But this team looks even more talented than last team. If you take Castleton out of the equation, I mean, Tyree Samuel, Zion Pullen averaged 18 points at UC Riverside. They get him and Clayton in the backcourt. I mean, those guys should be firing shots on all cylinders. But then you look at it and you say, you look at Kyle Lofton, a guy that did that at St. Bonaventure, it didn't work out. So you'd like to think that Pullen and Clayton could do that, but now you're not sure if it's going to work out. So I'm with you there. I'm just, we'll just have to see. Because I don't know if I totally believe it either. Is there any team in uh, that's kind of flying under the radar that maybe it, maybe it's just they're going to have a better season than you think they're going to? Then you think that they're going to have a better season than is the consensus, or it's a team that is kind of outside those those three or four obvious front runners that you think could make some real noise uh, at the top of the conference. Um, it's, it's gotta be Ole Miss to me. And, and, you know, obviously everything with Chris Beard, people know what happened there, but regardless of thoughts about what he has going on off the court, his coaching certainly speaks for itself. I mean, the guy's a great coach. Ole Miss is not a basketball powerhouse. So for them, the move made sense, right? Let's bring him in. Let's make sure that he's on his best behavior here. And let's see if he can get Ole Miss to be a pretty good basketball team. And Ole Miss didn't even lose a guy who averaged 10 points per game last year. That's one thing I look for. You know, did you lose stars? If you lost stars, did you bring them in? If you didn't lose stars, what do you have returning? Okay, Ole Miss returns Matthew Morrell, Jamin Brakefield, two guys better than anyone they lost. So right away, you've got cohesion and guys that can already ball. Now they're going to have better coaching. They're joined by Brandon Murray, Alan Flanagan, two power conference guys, Musa Cisse as well. I mean, th- these are three guys who can come in and immediately make this Rebels team better. Not to mention that Flanagan comes over from Auburn. I mean, he already knows the SEC like the back of his hand. So Chris Beard kind of has it right there out for him to do his job, to do what he does best, which is coach basketball teams and make them into winning basketball teams. And I'm expecting Ole Miss to be 
maybe even a top seven team in the SEC. Top six, if I want to go that far. Final question to kind of wrap this all up, hopefully nicely. When you look at the season for the SEC, what is the thing or the couple things that intrigue you most? What are sort of the storylines you are looking at that you feel like people should be focusing on? Yeah, and I think we touched on a little bit earlier too, but just the fact that there's no front runner in this conference, so multiple teams could come up and win the SEC. You know, you look at other conferences, whether it be the Big 12 where it just seems to always be Kansas, whether it be, I mean, the, a couple of the comp, there is a lot of parity in college basketball this year, but, you know, the Big 12 is one that comes to mind. I think you could kind of say the Big East, you know, you're kind of expecting, is it going to be UConn? Is it going to be Villanova? Um, I know there's Marquette there as well this year in Creighton, um, but you know, in the Big Ten, Purdue is certainly the hot team. Michigan State's getting some love as well. But in the SEC, it's, I mean, it, it could be Tennessee. It could be Kentucky. It could be Arkansas. I like Arkansas a lot. It could be Alabama. You know, you could go on and on with these teams. And because none of these teams are really a surefire team, it could be Ole Miss, like I just mentioned. I mean, Tennessee seems to be the best team on paper. But I don't think they're that much better than Ole Miss because they don't have a guy like Zach Eady in Purdue who you know they're going to be number one. So I think just this overall parity within the SEC and you don't know really know what to expect um, is going to make it a fun a fun basketball season. That's all you could ask for is, is entertainment and surprise. And right. certainly looks like we're going to get that in the SEC. Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. We really appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Thank you so much, Matt, for hopping on the show, talking some Kentucky hoops with us, some SEC. Uh, loved getting his his perspective and point of view on on what the the importance of this year for Calipari and also the return to a a very familiar uh, roster construction there in Lexington. Yeah, and it was interesting how Matt was able to kind of flip the framing and point out fairly that if you take away instead of highlighting the bad seasons and the bad parts for Kentucky recently if you take those away it does paint a different picture and I had never really thought about it that way because the expectations are so high that every disappointing season seems like a seismic failure because it's Kentucky and the expectation is a national championship Mm -hmm. but it just goes to this idea that this season is a massive one for that program and for John Calipari, because I really do feel like it's going to kind of shift the balance and shift the narrative in terms of how we feel moving forward. Because if it's good, if it's really good, it's much easier, obviously, to dismiss some of the struggles recently. But if it's another bad season, you got some major questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. That's the SEC both. Uh, in our preview, uh, Josh and I breaking down the conference. And of course, big shouts to Matt for hopping on the podcast to add his expertise as well. Josh, got anything else before we get out of here? We're just working on getting more interviews. Excited for everybody to listen to him. There you go. There you go. 
Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the YouTube channel, Jays for Days Podcast, there as well. And we'll keep rolling these out as we approach the beginning of the college basketball season. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days Podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.